Welcome to Talking History, a series of talks given to the Farnham U3A World History Group. In this talk, Michael Abare tells us about the life of Robert Baden-Powell. Robert Baden-Powell. Strange man. Robert Stevenson Smythe Powell, no Baden in those days, was born in Paddington, 22nd of February, 1857. He was named after his godfather, the railway and civil engineer Robert Stevenson, the son of George Stevenson, the railway pioneer. And Smythe was his mother's maiden name. His father was the Reverend Baden, that's Baden as a Christian name, Powell, who was a geometry professor at Oxford University. He had been married twice before and already had four children by his second marriage. He went on to father six children by his third wife, who was Henrietta Grace Smythe. She was the eldest daughter of Admiral Smythe and niece of General Smythe. So a fairly um, military family. Henrietta Grace Smythe, military family. She was 23 years younger than her husband, and the husband died when young Robert was only three years old. She was an immensely strong and determined lady who set out to make her children immensely successful in whatever it was that they chose to do in life. Young Robert was a very sensitive little chap. He loved playing with dolls, formed close relationships with lots of other boys, probably because the, his mother was so domineering. Mother had some strange views on motherhood. In order to distinguish between the two parts of the family that she was bringing up, Henrietta then changed the family name of her children to Baden-Powell. Robert went on to, went to Rose Hill School in Tunbridge Wells, then was awarded a scholarship to Charterhouse. Then in London, but almost immediately, within weeks, I think, uh, moved to Godalming. Here, Baden-Powell failed to distinguish himself academically, but he enjoyed tracking and stalking in the woods adjacent to the school. He'd catch and cook rabbits, ensuring that there were no telltale smoke signs to show the teachers where he was. One comment from a school report on mathematics says, he has, to all intents, given up the subject. Another comment on French says he could do well but has become lazy and often sleeps in school. He enjoyed his school holidays though and went on several expeditions with his brothers. One was sailing around southern England and another one tracing the course of the River Thames right to its source. He joined the army in 1876 as a lieutenant in the 13th Hussars, who were then stationed in India and moved with his regiment to Natal in southern Africa in the early 1880s. Here he further developed his military tracking and backwood skills and was mentioned in dispatches. It was at this time that he came across a large string of beads belonging to the Zulu king Dinizulu, which he later incorporated into his adult training award in the Scouts. He was made an acting, or to use the military term, a breveted major, and was posted to Malta as aide-de-camp to his uncle, General 
Sir Henry Smythe for three years. His job there included intelligence work. You and I would call it spying. He wandered around the Mediterranean area, pretending to be an eccentric butterfly collector, making drawings of the butterflies he saw, but hidden in the designs of the butterfly wings were plans of military installations. He then returned to Southern Africa in 1896, just in time to serve in the Second Matabele War, and was involved in the relief of the Siege of Bulawayo, where a number of staff of the British South Africa Company were trapped. This is where he met and became friends with Frederick Russell Burnham, an American army scout and tracker, who honed his skills, honed Baden-Powell's skills, that is, at fieldcraft and tracking. It was here that he started wearing his trademark Stetson-type hats and neckerchiefs. His favourite job was going out on scouting and reconnaissance missions into enemy territory. In that same year, 1896, he was accused of illegally killing a prisoner of war. The Matabili chief, Uwini, had been captured. He'd been promised that his life would be saved if he surrendered, but Baden-Powell then had him shot by firing squad. He was eventually cleared by a military inquiry but the colonial civil authorities wanted a full civil investigation, as they weren't satisfied with a military hearing at all. Or, as Baden-Powell put it himself, he was cleared without a stain on his character. <laughs> he served in the Fourth Ashanti War in the Gold Coast, now Ghana, of course, in 1897. He was now a breveted or acting colonel, the youngest colonel in the British Army at 40 and he was given command of the 5th Dragoon Guards. He started writing an army manual based on lectures he'd been giving to soldiers on using initiative and on surviving in the wilderness. This became a part of his future work known as Scouting for Boys. Actually, a great deal of it was the work of his friend, the American Burnham. In fact, nearly all of it was. He returned to Southern Africa just before the Second Boer War, fighting against obviously the Boers, the Dutch settlers. This war was primarily about the control of the gold fields and diamond mines in that part of Africa. And there was also an element of different opinions on slavery. He set up the League of Frontiersmen to assist the regular army. He was ordered to maintain a mobile force on the borders with the Boer Republic, but instead traveled around and amassed a huge pile of stores in a place called Mafeking massive pile of stores. While he was traveling around the country, he became trapped in Mafeking with his irregulars. He was surrounded and hugely outnumbered by 8,000 Boer soldiers. He took on the role of garrison commander and held out for 217 days until a relief force could get there. He had already set up his League of Frontiersmen, as we said, to assist the regular army and young white boys who were too young to join up joined the Mafeking Cadet Corps to pass messages and carry out various other duties, relieving the real soldiers to fight. Baden-Powell was not involved in setting this up, and there is no evidence that he really took much notice of them during the siege. He must have noticed them slightly, though, as this was another key part of his book, Scouting for Boys. It's quite clear that Baden-Powell could have destroyed the stores and broken out at any time that he chose. The Boers had no artillery at all. Baden-Powell was clearly enjoying himself. 
He really was. I think he wanted to be in the siege. He set up various subterfuges, including setting non-existent minefields. Get a spade and put something into the hole and cover it all over and set up um, barbed wire fences so that somebody looking through binoculars from a distance would think that, uh, that it was all very nasty down there. There have been a number of suggestions made that survival of the siege was at the expense of Africans who were not fed adequately, but this theory has now been pretty much discounted. After the siege was lifted on the 16th of May 1900, Baden-Powell found himself a major general and a national hero. He returned to England in 1903 as Inspector General of Cavalry. He was invited to Balmoral by the King and was there made a Companion of the Order of the Bath, a CB. He retired from the army as a Lieutenant Colonel in 1910, allegedly on the advice of the King, Edward VII, who suggested that he could better serve his country by promoting scouting. I wonder who bent the ear <laughs> of the king for that one. They obviously didn't want him. When, he, when the First World War was started in 1914, Baden-Powell put himself at the disposal of the war office. But Kitchener, he, he didn't want him either, saying that he could lay his hands on several divisional commanders at the drop of a hat, but nobody else could do the invaluable work of the Boy Scouts. It was strongly rumoured that he, he was used in spying during the war, but nobody, nobody knows at all. <coughs> when Baden-Powell had returned from Africa in 1903, he found that his training manual, Aids to Scouting, had become a bestseller and was being used by teachers and youth organisations. He became involved with a boys' brigade, together with his uh, very close friend, William Alexander Smith, and found himself brigade secretary an officer in charge of its scouting section. He decided to rewrite his aides to scouting to make it more suitable for youth organisations. Then, in August 1907, he held an experimental camp at Brownsea Island in Poole Harbour to test out his theories. Twenty boys attended. Eight were chosen from boys' brigade companies, and the other twelve were public school boys, sons of friends of his. The... Other major influence on Baden-Powell at this time was a man called Ernest Thompson Seton, that's S-E-T-O-N, who had founded the Woodcraft Indians in America. Now, some of you may know these things a little bit, but what the Woodcraft folk in this country is not or was not directly connected to the Woodcraft Indians, and it was formed after the First World War anyway. So it's quite a different thing. The first book on the scout movement, Scouting for Boys, was published in 1908 in six installments. Boys and girls starting form, started forming impromptu scout troops around the country. And that is how the scout movement started. Not as a carefully planned event, but as a series of impromptu groups of boys, initially on a parallel course to their friends, the Boys Brigade. Baden-Powell was very surprised to find that girls were joining scouting, so he asked his sister Agnes, Agnes Baden-Powell, start the Girl Guide movement in 1920. The first World Jamboree took place at Olympia, and he was created Chief Scout of the World. The next year, he was created a baronet and became Lord Baden-Powell of Gilwell, uh, which is in Essex. In January 1912, Baden-Powell had been on 
the liner Arcadia on his way to New York when he met a young girl called Olive Sinclair Soames, a 23-year-old girl. He was by that time 55, by the way, and found that they shared the same birthday, the 22nd of February. She was the daughter of the brewery owner and artist Harold Soames. They were engaged that September, causing much comment in the press, and were married the next month secretly at St Peter's Church, Parkstone. They lived at Pax Hill near Bentley, just outside Farnham, for 20 years, from 1919 to 1939. The house was a wedding gift from her father. As soon as he was married, Robert started suffering from severe headaches. <laughs> now, now. <laughs> now, now. Don't mock. <laughs> Don't mock. <laughs> Which his doctor diagnosed as being um, psychosomatic. The doctor tried to deal with them by using dream analysis, but it was only when he moved into a makeshift bedroom on the balcony that things improved. <laughs> by 1922, uh, there were more than a million scouts in 32 countries. And by the outbreak of the Second World War, there were over 3.3 million around the world. So it certainly worked. In 1929, Baron Baden-Powell of Gilwell was given a new 20-horsepower Rolls-Royce car and an Eccles caravan by the scout movement, which he used extensively for travelling around Europe. In 1937, he retired formally from scouting at the age of 80. Currently, there are over 32 million scouts and 10 million guides worldwide in well over 200 countries and territories. Interestingly, the highest number are in Indonesia, where there are more than 17 million, or 7.2% of the population. In the United Kingdom, it's 1.6% as a matter of interest. Robert and Olive produced three children somehow. <laughs> Had a, a son, Peter, and two daughters, Heather and Betty. Olive's sister, Aureole Davidson, had died in 1919, so the Baden-Powells took in their three children and brought them up as part of their own family. Peter succeeded his father as the second Baron Baden-Powell on his father's death, and in 1962, Robert's grandson, another Robert, became the third. But here we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves. In 1939, uh, Robert and Olive moved to Nyeri in Kenya, partly on health grounds. It was a small house which they called Paxtu, P-A-X-T-U, and it was in the grounds of the uh, Outspan Hotel, which was owned by Robert's first private secretary, Eric Walker. Walker also owned the famous Treetops Hotel, which was about nine miles away, where the old man regularly visited. He died on the 8th of January, 1941, shortly before his 85th birthday, and is buried in St. Peter's Cemetery in Yerri. Olive returned to Britain in 1942 and lived in a grace and favour apartment in Hampton Court Palace. Uh, when she died of diabetes at Berkeley House in Bramley in 1977, her ashes were then also put in her husband's grave in Kenya, which was later made a national monument there. 
Tim Geale, who wrote a biography of Baden-Powell with the title The Boy Man, suggested one or two rather disturbing things about him. He found that Robert had used the swastika on early scout thanks badges, but he may well not have realized the significance of them during his later life, and may have used them as a celebration of Indian tradition of good luck. He certainly read, definitely read Mein Kampf and approved of much of its content, but said it was a pity that Hitler didn't practice all of it himself. He was certainly an earlier admirer of Mussolini. He may have turned towards fascism due to his hatred of communism. We'll almost certainly never really know. Interestingly, though, the Nazis had him in their black book of people to be arrested when Germany invaded Britain. Something else we'll probably never be sure about is his sexuality. Tim Geale's book makes it very clear that he was very close to his friend, Kenneth McLaren. But how close is just not known. Kenneth had been a fellow army officer, and the two met in India in 1881, way back, whilst acting in an army farce called the Area Bell, that's as in B-E-L-L-E. Unusually for Baden-Powell, he played the part of a man, whilst Kenneth, who was 20 at the time and looked perhaps as much as 14, played the part of the ingenue. They stayed close friends until after Robert's marriage, when Olive made it very clear, indeed, that she would not tolerate any of his old army friends in general, and Kenneth in particular. The two men never met again after that day, and Kenneth died in an asylum a few years later. Jill examines Baden-Powell's views on women, his admiration of the male form, his military relationships, as well as his marriage. He concluded that he thought Baden-Powell was probably a repressed homosexual. Since this time, some scholars have agreed and some have disagreed. That's what scholars do, isn't it? But frankly, does it matter anyway? In 2002, the BBC named him in their 100 Greatest Britons. The scout movement is still flourishing today, albeit a very different movement and very updated from his time. Now, I would suggest that he wasn't a perfect person, but who of us is? He did a number of good things in his 84 years of life and was certainly a most interesting character. The views expressed in this talk are representative of the views held at the time of the material being discussed. They do not necessarily represent the views of the speaker, the Farnham U3A History Group, or the team at the Mr T Podcast Studio. This podcast is produced by the Mr T Podcast Studio in association with the Farnham U3A Group. Thank you for listening to this talk 